This is Christian Questions. Winston Churchill once said, Truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, and ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.net. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we are glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is our subject today? Well, Rick, our question is, should you not be a Christian? Say what? Part one. (laughs) And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. And Jonathan, you, you, you look at that question and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Should you not be a Christian? And why would we ask such a question? Well, here's the answer to why we're asking such a question, and then we'll get to answering the question itself. <laughs> About two months ago, we received an email from a listener, a college student, who was troubled. He is a Christian and had watched a YouTube video entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. It's an hour-and-a-half step-by-step presentation of how another young man went from devoted Christian to atheist. It was a very, very, very well-done, non-inflammatory treatise on why the author now believed Christianity to be just a story. The young man who emailed us, his name is Zach, uh, asked if we could answer it. And we, we said, sure, just give us a little bit of time. And we had to work it in and do a little bit of research and so forth. So here we are. We are approaching the answer to that video entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, uh, from YouTube. Uh, this is, as you mentioned, part one. That's right. So for Zach in Nebraska, uh, this one's for you. <laughs> and this is going to take three parts yes. to complete. Yeah, and because th- this guy... It was so, it was very well done. And Jonathan, you know, I've never been beaten up so nicely in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. You know, uh, you know, he beats upon Christianity vehemently, but in such a respectful and nice way. It it it, it warrants comment commentary. And so here we are. Uh, and uh, I was I was very impressed with that. He's he's a former Christian, and you know, at the beginning of the video, video lays out uh, a lot of the thinking in his Christianity. And you can see he was truly sincere from child on up about his belief, and then he goes step by step why he changed. So here we are in dealing with all of this. Uh, Again, the video is entitled, Why I Am No Longer uh, a Christian. So let's get started. Let's go right to to the the, uh, soundbite from that video to just get a sense of where he's starting. Uh, And he's talking about belief in God being what he calls a mega-belief. So let's listen to this. In the mind of any sophisticated believer, the concept of God is a mega-belief. It's a belief that's held together by many small beliefs, many small experiences that accumulate and form a a larger belief. If at any one time one of these beliefs is attacked, a believer can still in their own mind 
rely on the strength of the other beliefs. It's only when a sufficient number of these beliefs that form the mega-belief are countered that a Christian will really start to question their faith. So his, his point is Christianity is built on a lot of things. And because you have all of these things, the only way somebody's ever going to really question their faith is if you take several of them out. One piece at a time. Right. So, you know, okay. if you have a five-legged stool and you take one leg of the stool out, you go, okay, well, I got four legs. I'm good. Right. You know, if you take another one out, you still got the, the proverbial three-legged stool, mm-hmm. which is supposedly very sturdy. And, and actually it is. So uh, it's a mega belief, he says. And, and before we go further and get into the issues, let's, let's just point out, mega beliefs are common in many, many, many aspects of life. That's right. An example, Rick, would be evolution. Evolution is a mega belief. It, it is built upon a lot of things. Incidentally, folks, just to be clear, evolution is not a fact. It is a theory, though it's treated like a fact. Mm-hmm. It's really a religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that as we go. But global warming. You know, I, I read stuff on both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Whenever I read stuff that says pro-global warming, it's, it's pretty convincing. Whenever I read stuff against it, it's pretty convincing. Mm-hmm. So I sit there and go, wow mega belief built on lots of pieces and yet there are different ways of looking at that particular mega belief application of human rights that's another mega belief how do you apply human rights Uh, where do they end or where do they begin who gets them how do they get them and and so forth political perspectives no we don't even want to touch that do we no (laughs) (laughs) medical treatments you know going all natural in in terms of treating things versus using uh, medication and and, you know like with cancer radiation and things like that Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. are all mega beliefs that have lots of things that hold them up yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things you look at, for, for instance, with medical science, is medical science has changed and developed over time. Absolutely. And some things that used to be used as treatments are no longer used. Because they found they're not really reliable. Right. So all of these things, our life is built on many mega-belief systems. So Christianity is not set apart from all of these other things. I think that's an important point. Okay. Hey, now, we're not going to go try and attack, quote-unquote, some other mega-belief system here as we, as we deal with this. The, the point is to, to sort of prove our, our position uh, as best as we can. Let's go now to uh, another soundbite and get into the aspects of Christianity that this young man doing this video uh, is saying are, are essentially his, his targets. Uh, remember he said, you know, you've you got to you know, pull out several things? Yes. He, he kind of lists out what the targets are that he is going to be addressing in his hour and a half uh, video. Let's listen. This is called graceful degradation. It's a concept in network theory where multiple nodes in a network can be knocked down, but the network as a whole can still stand up. For the purpose of continuing my story, I'll label these nodes. This is a simplified model of the concept of God but I think that it covers a sufficient number of different subjects to make my deconversion convincing. So it's interesting. He's talking about his his changing to atheism as a deconversion. Deconversion, yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) I would actually challenge the language in that because I think there is a conversion aspect to that. We'll get into that as time goes on. But there are the graceful degradation. In other words, all of these different nodes in the network uh, he, he lists them out. It was, it was in a picture, so you couldn't see the picture, but Jonathan, wh- what I are those him. nodes? All right. Belief in God with the Bible as the center 
and all around it are the following. So the point in the middle is the Bible. So that's the picture. Okay, okay and so what, what are the points around it? Prayer is one. Mm-hmm. More, uh, morality, personal relationship is number two. Mm-hmm. Other Christians, number three. Logical arguments, number four. And the fifth is creation. Okay, and again, the, you know, the Bible is sort of the centerpiece. So we're going to take these things in the order he addresses them actually in the video, not in the order that, that are just listed right there. So you've got all of these different areas, these different nodes in this n- network that he's saying uh, are, are subject. Mm-hmm. And what he attempts to do through this hour and a half is to literally erase each one of these nodes so you have nothing left. Take them apart. Right. Okay. Right, piece by piece by piece All by right. piece. And again, it's very, very respectfully done. And, uh, you know, if I ever meet the guy, I'm going to compliment him uh, on it. And then just tell him I think he's full of baloney, but... <laughs> 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 and then hopefully tell him why. Um, so his, the first part that he's, he begins to, to take apart is the concept of prayer. Okay. All right, and so he is going to disprove prayer in his in his in his approach now folks uh we're going to be talking about prayer for the first hour and we're going to be talking about morality for the second hour all right so if you have any thoughts in terms of prayer understanding prayer perhaps prayer experiences how you think prayer can be proved and all of those things we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4ALL we are live sunday mornings from seven to nine that means we're on right now and we continue the conversation online. We want to hear your feedback on today's topic by posting it on our Facebook page where you can see exclusive videos. Check out our blog and our website for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources no one else has on the planet. Go to ChristianQuestions.net. And uh, CQ Rewind is a free service available only at ChristianQuestions.net that sums up the program in a beautiful, beautiful fashion. Uh, so let's go to this next soundbite uh, about debunking prayer. Often, in my own life, I found that the likeliness of a prayer request coming true seemed to be directly proportional to the likeliness of it happening without me praying. To adjust for this, as I got older, I started to ask for things I was more likely to get. For example, instead of asking for God to make me a robot, give me superpowers, or send me to the moon, I'd ask for God's help on homework, help on dealing with a certain emotion, help for a friend in difficult circumstances. These are all things that I realized were likely to happen anyway, but I thought asking God for help might tip the odds in my favor. So from a young child who prays to God, oh, please make me a robot because that would be cool. Yeah. You know, he says, okay, I, I grew up to realize that, you know, those things aren't going to happen. Let me pray for things that are more likely to happen. And so that's how he's, he's approaching. And he's saying, you know, the answers to prayer are, are just the likely odds of life. That's what he's saying. That's, that's okay. premise. And there is a point to that. I have to give him credit. There is a point to that. So as we look at prayer, let's first establish having the correct perspective about God in ourselves. Isaiah 57:15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. So there is a greatness to the loftiness of God and a smallness to the humility of man. That's right. And... And I kind of go through that uh, every Sunday morning um, before 
I get get going. Um, I sit on the couch and I look up to the stars and and I talk with the Lord before you know the program before I review everything, and that is an awe inspiring uh, view of His creation. And it makes it, you feel oh, pretty small. It does. It and, really and see, does. that's part of the the proper perspective toward prayer. Now, the other thing is, you know, who says prayer is supposed to be about getting what I want? Ah, good question. And, and I think that's one of the basic premises that we have to seriously address as we go through and explain prayer. Let's look at Romans to, uh, 8, 26 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So now there's something interesting there. First of all, oftentimes we don't even know what we're supposed to be praying for. Right. Okay, that's an important factor. And the last scripture there says, look, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. So that implies that if you're not getting what you want, that it works together for your, your best interest, spiritually. Right. So... Is getting what I want proof of prayer, or is not getting what I want proof of prayer, or is all of that just going to happen anyway in life in general, and prayer is meaningless? So many questions. <laughs> so little time to answer them all. This is a very important subject. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Coming up. How do you prove prayer works? Are you praying in the right way? If not, why would God answer you anyway? If so, do you always get what you want? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should you not be a Christian? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now at our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And for those of you who may be tuning in late, let's just sort of sum up the first segment, Jonathan, because it's important. Uh, we are essentially answering a video that was on YouTube that was brought to our attention by a young man named Zach who lives out way out in Nebraska. Yes. Uh, and he said it was troubling to him. It was called Why I Am No Longer a Christian. It's a, an hour and a half dissertation that essentially piece by piece takes Christianity apart. Right. I watched it. The impressive thing to me is that it was done so incredibly respectfully. It deserves commentary. So you weren't beat up. No, I, I was beat up, but very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like oh, you're almost enjoying the beating. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so his first concept is, okay, God is in the middle, but there's these these, these branches that come out. Then right. if you pick apart these branches, Each then you can throw out the concept right. of God. And, and that's what he attempts to do over this hour and a half uh, uh, dissertation. And the first... Item on his list is prayer. Yes. And so in this segment, we're looking at, okay, can we prove that prayer works? Is there a way to actually prove that prayer works? Because at the end of the last segment, uh, he talked about uh, what he found is that the answers to prayer were things that would have happened naturally in life anyway. So it didn't seem to him prayer was really working. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a valuable that point. His perspective. It's yeah. a valuable point there. Okay, so that's the question for the segment. Is there a way to prove that prayer works? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Now there's a scriptural principle here. that Notice that scripture doesn't talk anything about prayer. No, it doesn't. But it does talk about spiritual maturity. Yes, it does. And it's saying that if you are spiritually immature, you're like a, an infant in Christ. Mm-hmm. And an infant obviously is not capable of a running things or making decisions for themselves. They just continually need to be fed and pampered and cared for. Mm-hmm. And he's saying you need to grow up. That principle is something that we have to go through and understand in order to really look at and, and analyze prayer from a scriptural standpoint. Good point. Okay, so we're putting that principle on the table. Let's go back to another soundbite from this, uh, um, this video from YouTube, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. And again, he's uh, debunking prayer uh, in this. And, and again, he, he, he uses some very specific reasoning here, so listen carefully. If God already knew everything before it happened and had set all of the possible events in the universe in place, there was absolutely nothing I could ask for that he didn't already know about. Further, if he was omniscient, all-benevolent, and had a plan for me, then why on earth was I trying to put myself in the driver's seat? What I really needed to be doing was trying to discover his will for my life. If God was omniscient, then he had already given me all the tools I needed to solve whatever problem I had. It was my responsibility to find those tools and his will for how he wanted me to use them. Okay, so he says several things. First of all, he starts out by saying, well, if God is omniscient, if God is everywhere, and God knows the end from the beginning and knows all the details of everything, why the heck am I even praying? Because he's got it already in order. Okay. Okay, and first of all, I'm going to challenge some of that reasoning, just from the standpoint of, uh, I believe that God doesn't have every detail of my life set out before me. Okay, so it's not predestined for you to do everything like a robot. Right. I have a choice. I have a choice every moment of every day, and God respects that. He built that into humanity. That's why we're in a world of sin. Okay, he respected the choices of humanity. So I think that's something that's important. And he says, well, you know, what I needed to learn to do was discover that God did give me the tools and I just needed to find them. That's true. Yeah, that is. And, but that, that almost contradicts his other point about God's omniscience and having everything in order. Why am I even praying? Because then I'm putting myself in the driver's seat. The scriptures, Jonathan, are replete with examples of the choices that we as followers of God can make to continually affirm and to reaffirm our faith. We choose. God uses our choice. I like that. that and, and that's scriptural. Joshua twenty four fifteen is a very plain scripture that says that. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. There's a very clear choice. Joshua is laying out to the people, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
and you have choices of different gods, quote-unquote. And if I were to say that every human being serves gods of some kind, a lot of people will get all bent out of shape and say, no, they don't. They don't believe in God. Oh, yes, you do. You just don't call them gods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we have things that are set up that we honor and give our respect and devotion to. That's right. They essentially are gods. Like, say, science. Science can be a god. Atheism is the worship of that which isn't. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> well, and, and 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 it's it's just like you can't physically, scientifically prove the existence of God. You cannot physically, scientifically disprove God. Either way, you can't. It takes a step of faith, one way or the other. Now, to me, it's a giant step of faith to be an atheist. Why? And, Why is that? And it's a tiny step of faith to be a Christian because the universe is orderly and designed. And if you don't think that, you got to look around and say, I mean, have you ever seen the shape of a snowflake, for crying out loud? Something as tiny as a snowflake that's there and then it's gone? It's magnificent in its beauty. It's symmetrical. How did it happen that way? Does it, is it happen that way because of laws of science? Where there is law, there is reason and design. And when we discredit reason and design, what are we doing? <laughs> we're, we're, we're taking we're, we're, I'll get back to that I'll, I'll get back to that in a little okay. bit because I'm going to okay. get off on a tangent here All right. once we choose this is about choice and this is about prayer and, and, and Jonathan once we choose we have to apply uh, ourselves to whatever that decision is uh, 2 Timothy two fifteen and 16 be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. So our decision toward Christianity puts upon us responsibility. Are you all in? Right. Or not? And, and this is saying accurately dividing the word of truth. It means you have to understand what it is that you're believing in. It's not saying go to church on Sunday, nod and listen, and walk out smiling. That's not it. That's, that's a great place to begin. But that's not the place to end. Christianity is something that we have to grow up into to be mature. Now, can you prove that prayer works? And my answer is no, you can't. I don't think we can prove that prayer works. I just, from a scientific standpoint, I don't think you're going to be able to. But let me give you an example of something else that's not provable scientifically, but that we all accept. All right, what's that? Art. Art like? Like in paintings, sculpture. Okay. Uh, What is art? First of all, art is in the eye of the beholder. Right? Good point. But art adds beauty to the world in which we live. But you can't quantify art in a scientific format. You can't look at art and say, well, let me put it on this part of the scientific scale. Because it is something that stirs emotion. It is something that stirs um, drive in some people. Art moves people. It really, truly does. But you can't, you can't add it up numerically, so to speak. Okay. So I think art and prayer are very similar in that fashion. It is a moving force in humanity. It, it changes people, but to be able to quantify it is like trying to be able to quantify a, 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 a masterpiece hanging on the wall. You know, when they say it's priceless, that means it's not quantifiable. Good point. And so I think prayer falls into that same type of category. It is a moving part of our inner man that needs to be worked with but if I'm going to try to prove it to somebody, I'm going to have a really hard time. And, and, and I and freely admit that we're not going to be able to prove prayer. So instead of proving it, what we want to do is explain it. 
Good point. So that the listener can decide for themselves. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.net, no matter the day or time. So, and again, check out CQ Rewind, especially the the full edition. It's something you sign up for on ChristianQuestions.net. It is a marvelous, marvelous service. It really puts things in perspective. Good stuff in the bonus material this time, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about morality. Mm -hmm. And there's a very well-written code of morality in the bonus material that doesn't come from the scriptures. Or does it? I don't know. But the, the source is not scriptural. The source Check is not out. a Christian, but it's in the bonus material. We won't have time to go over it uh, in, the, in the program Seek itself. Seek Rewind at ChristianQuestions.net. Sign up for the full edition. It's free. There is no obligation. Let's go back to uh, the, the thought of prayer, because next, our, our, our friend here who is debunking prayer uh, basically goes over a study that he says uh, doesn't work. So uh, that he says proves that prayer doesn't work. So let's listen to this. As an atheist, I later discovered an in-depth study on intercessory prayer involving 1,800 patients undergoing heart surgery. The study found no positive effect on the patients who had been prayed for. Even as an atheist, the results surprised me. Surprisingly, the study found that people who knew they were being prayed for actually had more complications after surgery than those who didn't. So, newsflash, don't pray for somebody having surgery. It can make it worse. So that's proof that it doesn't work. Well, he's saying, look, you had this big study. And look, it was a large study. 1,800 people is a lot of people to have as subject of a study. Sure. So when you look at that and say, well, you know, what you have is no positive effect from prayer because the physical healing process wasn't any better. So they're saying, therefore, there's no positive effect from prayer. Okay, so let's hold that thought for a moment, and then let's, let's do a little bit of scripture digging, because I think what we're going to find out is, again, that prayer is not about what I get. Good point. But it's about how or what I become. And I think that's what we need to understand as the true reason for prayer. Classic example. Okay, we can say that prayer doesn't work because there's many times we don't get what we pray for, right? Right. I mean, we think we are praying for something that is, quote, God-approved. We try. <laughs> well, you know, and you know, you, you've seen the commercials, you know, a mother-approved, you know, yeah. when they're selling a cereal or something. Yeah. Well, you have something you're praying for that's stamped, God-approved. And so if you're praying for something God-approved, it's like, well, there's no reason I shouldn't get it. <laughs> right? I mean, it, 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 it seems to make sense. Apparently, though, even Jesus had the same no answer when he prayed. Ooh, so you think, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Jesus? I mean, was Jesus. told no from God? Yes, he was. He was told no from God. Let's read uh, portions. Uh, well, actually, I think we can read this. Um, Matthew 26, 37 to 44. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Okay, so he goes and he prays. This is the night before his crucifixion. And he is asking God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And I believe that the cup he's talking about is not the crucifixion itself, but dying as a blasphemer, dying as an insult to God rather than as a glory to God in the, in the sight of men. I believe that that's what he's asking about. I agree with you. So 
he prays this, if it's possible, let this pass from me. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So Jesus is saying to God, here is my will. But if my will is not in line with yours, I'm good. That's profound. It is. That is absolutely profound. So, let's continue the reading. And he cometh unto the disciples, and foundeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? And one hour is one period of testing. It's kind of symbolic language. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done. So he goes and he prays a second time. So if Jesus himself is praying twice about something, it must be incredibly important to him. Absolutely. He is begging God to, 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 to have it happen in a certain way. And then, but he says, but if it's not possible, then your will be done. And, and then what happens? And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So, if we put this three-prayer approach of Jesus in the same light as that scientific study, what we would have to say is that prayer had no positive effect effect on Jesus because he prayed three times, and what was the result? Torture and death. Exactly the way he didn't want it to happen. So we can say, okay, then prayer doesn't work. It didn't work for Jesus. But of course it did. Because here's the thing. Just because we don't get what we ask for doesn't mean that asking is an exercise in futility. On the contrary, asking and being denied affirms the direction that we must go to get completely in line with God's will. Right. So the no answer, if you will, is a powerful and positive yes from God in helping us find our way. And that's what prayer really is all about. It's not about getting stuff. If you think prayer is about getting stuff, you will be sorely disappointed. Because the great prayers of the great followers of God through the scriptures weren't about getting stuff for me. It was honoring God. It was honoring God. It was about God's people. It was about serving God. It was about sacrificing oneself. It was about doing all of things uh, in a godly fashion. It wasn't about me. That's not what we're taught to pray for and pray about. So just because we don't get what we ask for doesn't mean prayer is not working. So prayer, no, you can't prove it, but you really can't disprove it. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should you not be a Christian? Coming up, got milk? Is it in a jug? Oh, good. Then you will be ready for what's coming up. You won't believe this. The jug of milk, that's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should you not be a Christian? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, uh, we are doing this subject because we received an email. That's right, from Zach from Nebraska. Right, uh, a listener who basically said there's this YouTube video that's troubling me. It's a long dissertation on why this guy is no longer a Christian. Can you deal with it? And basically we said, yes, we can, and it's going to be a three-part program. Yes, this is part one. And so in this part one, Zach, thanks so much for bringing this to our attention. We really appreciate it. In this part one, we're looking at prayer and his debunking of prayer and our response to that. And you know what we said in the last segment, Jonathan, is no, you can't prove prayer. Scientifically. Scientifically. You can't prove prayer works. So let, let's go, uh, and you said something about a jug of milk? Yeah, I did. Got <laughs> milk? <laughs> All right. Now, now let, we're going to figure that out in just uh. a moment. Let's go back to, this, uh, to, the, to the YouTube presentation here about the way he says that he's observed God answers prayer. It's often said that God answers prayers in the form of yes, no, and wait. Sometimes the hardest answer to accept is wait. In their brilliant, if somewhat condescending, video, GII Video demonstrates, using a clever example, how this entire heuristic can be entirely psychological, without God actually answering any prayers. So he's saying, well, you know, all that yes, no, and wait nonsense is just, it can be very, very easily psychological. And he's right. It can be. There is no question about that. He is absolutely right on that particular point. Let's go to Matthew 7, uh, verses uh, 7 through 11. Then I want to go to another uh, example of why prayer can't be easily quantified. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you whom, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you what is good to those who ask of him? And that is a big, broad, open invitation to pray, and it sounds like, you know, ask what you will, and it's going to be given to you, and everything is really in great shape, because, you know, you, you really can control your own destiny here, and, it, and that's a misreading of the scripture, mm-hmm. is it what is. it is, right. because we need to be in line with the will of God to get things from God to uh, be able to pursue the will of God. Prayer is not about pursuing my own will. Uh, with the psychological reality present, this text's can get Christians into a lot of trouble mm-hmm. uh, because psychologically we can say, well, you know, this is a good thing. Why would God deny me having a better car? Because then I can drive further and help people out. And, you know, sure enough, you go through life and you don't get a better car. And you say, well, God, why didn't you give me that better car? Because you're selfish. That's why. Because <laughs> it has nothing to do with spirituality. It has nothing to do with... with the with, development of Christian character. With content in what state that I am in. And and another example of trying to quantify prayer and how it really doesn't work, uh, think about working out for a minute. Okay. Okay, you want to learn how to work out and to have a a real effect. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to give you two choices of people to emulate. All right. Okay, you can emulate me. You? Me. I work out four times a week, you know. Wow. I go to the gym and I work out for 40 minutes four times uh, a week. And I sweat and I work hard. Um, and, you know, if, you, if, if I were to, and I'm not going to, but if I were to take my shirt off, you know, I don't know that you would necessarily see rippling abs. <laughs> you might see jiggling abs. <laughs> you know, ripple and jiggle are similar. 
and you could say, okay, there's that example, or you can take choose somebody who is thoroughly dedicated to physical fitness and emulate what they do. Which have tight abs. Yeah, they've got the <laughs> rippling abs. Now, little question, which one would you emulate to try to get the best results? Well, Think, the professional. You mean you wouldn't copy me? <laughs> Sorry, guy. <laughs> Why? Because you're going to someone who's thoroughly dedicated to it. That's the same with prayer. To find that which is uh, something you want to copy, you don't copy just what everybody does. You find those whose lives are driven by the will of God and by prayer. Mm-hmm. See, that's where you can find the true meaning and the true value of prayer. You're not going to find it fully and understandably in just the masses of people. Because, frankly, most of us are just way too immature in terms of following the will of God. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And if you have any questions on our subject, ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.net or go to Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. There is great, great stuff. And as a matter of fact, we highlight in the bonus material some prayers of some great godly individuals in the scriptures and you can see what they're praying for and how they're praying and it's not about me it's about glory to god nice let's go back to this jug of milk thing that you were talking about this here sound, it is this sound bites a little bit longer but he's explaining prayer in the context of praying to a jug of milk let's listen to do this they present the hypothetical in which instead of praying to god you pray to a jug of milk The jug of milk answers prayers in the form of yes, no, and wait. Assume that you you pray to the jug of milk to give you $1,000, and they ask you to wait and see what happens. They present three different scenarios. In the first scenario, out of the blue, you get a check for $1,100 from the IRS, and they say, See? The jug of milk answered your prayer. In the second scenario, seven weeks later, out of the blue, you get a cost of living raise and it happens to increase your salary by $1,200. And they say, See? The jug of milk answered your prayer. You just had to wait. In the third scenario, nothing happens for six months. And if you ask them why, they say, we have to trust that the jug of milk does best. Let's be patient. So you can see, obviously, there is a there is a playing on the psychological aspect of things. Yes, and he's and he's basically saying, look, those things would have happened anyway. And you know, you're praying to a jug of milk for crying out loud. You know, come on, get serious. And there, there is a point to that. Uh, the problem, there's a problem though with this clever analogy, and, and, and those who actually put the analogy out were not nearly as respectful as this gentleman. I will say that because I, I, I've actually seen the, the original analogy. Our jug of milk, just like any other idol that man creates, okay, and that's what it is, mm-hmm. does not give reasons for answers. It doesn't set guidelines, it doesn't provide inspiration, it doesn't provide direction, it's not historical, and it's not prophetic. Just It's just a clever delusion to sow earthly doubt about something that is spiritually based. You can't mix those things that are earthly with those things that are spiritually based. Prayer, I will tell you, Jonathan, and, and you and I were talking about this during the break, prayer works. It does. On an individual basis, 
prayer no has doubt about it. changed my life. Yes. Absolutely, positively, unequivocally, in dramatic fashion. I've seen miracles in my life due so to prayer. am I going to use that to prove prayer to somebody else? I can't prove it, but I can certainly show them that as an example. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this is about, is looking at how prayer truly does work. And the, the greatest answers to prayer, Jonathan, for me, have not been about me, but it's been about glory to God. It's been about the direction in life that further glorifies God himself. James 4, verses 3 to 4. You ask and did not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So in that scripture, it's really giving us a sense of the futility of asking for the wrong things that you may consume it upon your own pleasures and lusts. Exactly. So prayer is supposed to not be about getting stuff for me. And and think about the selfishness that this world has come to at this point. And, And think about how often Christianity labels it as, you know, Jesus wants you to have everything to make your life grand and and wonderful. No, he wants you to have everything to make your life sacrificial if you are following after him. And that doesn't mean everything is going to be easy and wonderful. And, you know, we're we're talking about milk. Before we go to the phones, we're talking about milk. Let's just touch on Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. Let's start with verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. And again, James 4 was saying that, you know, babies don't understand that what they're supposed to ask for and what they're not supposed to ask, ask for. Verse 14. But strong meat belong to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So it puts things in a grander perspective to understand that we, as mature Christians, we begin to realize that prayer is transforming for our lives. It's yes. not about getting, it's about changing. And that's why it's not quantifiable. Jonathan, let's go to the phones quickly. All right, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, should you not be a Christian? Well, uh, I have a perspective here, scriptural. Okay. Uh, John fifteen sixteen, the Lord Jesus says, You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. John seventeen eleven. again, uh, uh, Jesus in his prayer, mentions to the Father, those whom you have given me, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Matthew thirteen eleven, unto you, unto a special chosen class that is given to know, okay? Now, uh, here's an illustration, Rick. Uh, I know you always kid about your height. Yep. But you could not go to Coach Krzyzewski and say, Coach, here I am. I'm on your team. No, I could go, but he wouldn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's not your call. Right. To be a Christian, you have to be selected by God for a specific uh, uh, mission. And uh, it, it is God that does it call in Matthew 22, uh, 20, thereabouts, Matthew 22, uh, many a call. The calling is from God. So there, there is that perspective also. And uh, uh, Julius, we need to wrap up. We're almost out of time. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time to comment on Julius's thoughts, but great, great scriptures there. Excellent. Great scriptures. Thanks, Julius, so much. You know, the Apostle Paul, Jonathan, also had a no answer to his, his prayer. We won't read it for lack of time, but in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9, he's praying about this thorn in the flesh, and he prays three times. And the answer is... No. 
Right. My, and the answer is, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So the Apostle Paul is denied. And he's saying, if I get rid of this thorn in the flesh, I can serve you so much better. And Jesus' answer to him is, no, my grace is sufficient. And the Apostle's reaction is, I will glory in my infirmities. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. How do you quantify that scientifically? You can't. You don't. You can't. See, the, the answer here, folks, is simple. How do you prove the validity of prayer? Certainly not by science or case study. Rather, seek those Christians whose lives are truly built around not only living the will of God, but actually putting godliness above every other thing in their lives. Ask them about prayer. Ask them about its transforming power. Ask them about its influence. What you will find is a life that is truly content, a life that is truly driven. And Jonathan, you find a life that is truly secure. Mm -hmm. It's a life that lives and breathes prayer. Is that the proof of the reality of prayer? Well, you're going to have to decide. See, for me, Jonathan, in my own experience, and looking at the many, 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 many other Christians that I know who are deeply spiritually motivated in every aspect of their lives, who are mature Christians, whose lives have been driven by the will of God for years and years and years and years, I look at their lives and say, prayer works. I see it in them. I see the living example. They don't have stuff. But what they have is direction, because that's what prayer gives us, its direction. For Jonathan and Rick's Christian Questions, we'll be back for the second hour. We're going to be talking about morality. Did morality come from God? And if so, can God change morality? Or does morality come from mankind? A very important question in our quest to understand someone's perspective of not being a Christian. So again, for Jonathan and Rick's Christian Questions, tune in uh, if we're not on in your area. Uh, go to ChristianQuestions.net, hit the Listen Live button, and follow along with us. Leave your comments on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. But until the second hour, should you not be a Christian? We'll be back soon. Think about it. Christian Questions. Abraham Lincoln once said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, should you not be a Christian? Part 1. <laughs> and our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. So... It's a strange question for us here at Christian Questions to be asking. We've been broadcasting for years and years and years as Christians, and we're saying, <laughs> yeah. well, should you not be a Christian? And the reason for this is uh, we did receive an email from a young man uh, several months ago, mm -hmm. uh, Zach out in Nebraska, who uh, had drew, drew our attention to a video on YouTube uh, uh, that said why I am no longer a Christian. It was about an hour and a half. 
dissertation on debunking Christianity and how this young man became an atheist. And Zach's question was, you know, he brings out a lot of things, can you answer it? And so we are going to do this in a three-part series. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, therefore, the reason for, for the question, in the first hour we talked about prayer. Yes. And he debunks prayer, says, well, it's not provable scientifically, and he's right about that. He is. Uh, but it is provable from the standpoint of personal transformation. Yes, it is. And if you look at Christians who have lived their lives in complete, utter, and total dedication to a to a to a uh, service higher than themselves mm-hmm. that is serving God through Jesus ask them about prayer and see what they tell you yes ask them about what they're praying for and see what they tell you we can pray for God's guidance and direction in our lives but it's not about getting stuff for ourselves but what about those of us that have difficulties or challenges shouldn't we uh, go to God with those of petitions of course of course of course but just remember just as the Apostle Paul did. He brought a, a, a very difficult petition to God. God said no. And Paul gloried in that answer. So sometimes the Lord overrules, I believe, on our behalf and will we'll work a, a trial or a difficulty out to our, to our best advantage. And sometimes the, the problem is lifted off our shoulders and sometimes it's made heavier. In either case, it is the transforming power of prayer and faith that makes prayer so valuable. Folks, our second seg- uh, section today, our second hour is about morality. Uh, morality is the next point in this video that uh, this young man uh, uh, addresses. And if you remember in the first hour, Jonathan, he talked about graceful degradation. Yes. The, the pulling apart of a network by pulling out one node at a time. The next node he is attaching here is that of morality. Here's a very, very short introduction into morality. Next is morality. God is seen as the source of morality for Christians. Without God, there can be no morals. Okay, simple. Without God, we believe there can be no morals. Yes or no? True or false? (laughs) 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have more to say after the program, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And check out our website, ChristianQuestions.net. Also, don't forget Seeker Rewind, the full edition. The bonus material is full of wonderful, wonderful things in terms of, of, of added material. We just don't have time to go over. There's a morality code written by somebody who's not a Christian that is strikingly biblical. It <laughs> is. Interestingly enough. But uh, anyway, let's get down to this morality issue. Does morality come from God? Without God, there can be no morals. I agree with that. And I do too. He says that's a problem. Okay, and we're going to get into why he says that's a problem. But before that, a few weeks ago, Jonathan, we talked about what God wants from us. Remember that, that's that right. subject? And, and based it on the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Okay, a vast majority of cultures throughout all of history have adopted the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But it seems that that first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, was forgotten. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is the first known written record of these things. And it certainly gives us a sense that morality does come from God. Mm -hmm. It was written down. Nowhere else in history at that time do you have those things written down. Right. So how does that impact our world? Well, I think first we have to acknowledge God as the source. I think for a Christian, you, you know, and of course a non-Christian isn't going to do this, but for a Christian, you go to James one seventeen. 
Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So, every good thing has its original origin from the Father in heaven. Morality being one of them. Exactly. We believe that morality does come out from God. Secondly, so if you acknowledge God as the source, when the second we have to acknowledge why we think God is the source. Because okay, it's one thing to have, remember the jug of milk? Yes. You can say, oh, the jug of milk answers prayer. Inherently, what is the jug of milk? Nothing. <laughs> right, right. It's just the jug of milk. Leave it there long enough on the counter, it's going to go sour. Yep. Okay? So why is it that God is our source? Well, in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, it reminds us of what we really ought to know. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So as a Christian, we look at morality and its source as God. And if we look at that Isaiah scripture, what we are admitting to ourselves is that God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than ours. He thinks through eternity. We think for but a moment exactly. in time. Right. And, and as we look at that, we say, so there is a greatness there that we cannot possibly match. Therefore, we must listen to that greatness. Mm. Now, science says that we all can I should, I correct myself. Not science, but scientific theory says, not fact, but theory says, we are all here as a result of pure chance. That's what evolution says. Mm -hmm. So therefore, because there is no design in anything, D DNA wasn't designed, it was by accident. Okay? Okay. The, the earth and its atmosphere wasn't designed, it was all by accident. It was all by happenstance. The, the intelligence of mankind wasn't designed, it was all by accident. It was all by happenstance. All of those things, and folks, look, I'm sorry, but if you think those things are chance and there's no design, you better look in the mirror and ask yourself, why am I struggling with that? Why am I not accepting the design that is so blatantly apparent in, oh, I don't know, all of the universe? Yes. And if you believe that, though, what you're saying is morality couldn't possibly come from above because it would be another accident. So, therefore, I must create morality. Now, let's go back to this, uh, this young man's... Um, his experience going through college, he went to a college ethics class, and he had very specific expectations. Listen carefully to the expectations, because this was the beginning of a transformation from being a Christian to being a non-Christian for this gentleman. By the time I was 19 or 20, I felt I had morality pretty much figured out. That all changed when I took a required class in professional ethics as a college student. I thought ethics were extremely important. And I felt that this class would have a valuable influence on other people who took the class. I felt that most people my age didn't have as strong of an ethical basis for the decisions and attitudes in their lives as I did. And I hoped that in the process of taking the class, I could possibly set an example for other people to follow if the opportunity arose. Interesting way he describes his approach to this uh, ethics ethics class yes you know he's looking at it saying well you know I, I pretty much figured i had it down because i'm a christian and you know 
you look at that and say, "Wow, that's good." You know, you're you're really you're really putting your 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 life where your faith is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he but he says, "I'm going into it thinking, well, maybe I can be an example." And you, oftentimes, we as Christians go into places, you know, wanting to be able to be an example and let sure. our, we call it letting our light shine. Yep. All right. So he's going there, but he's not going there to learn. He's going there essentially to teach by example. And I think that creates an issue when you when whenever we have an environment in which we are entering to to just simply teach by example we have now i think become uh, higher in our own eyes and own esteem than, than we other than others around us right and yeah. we got to be really careful of, of of getting into that kind of a situation so that was the expectation he had but it was all changed when he actually went through the class so and we're going to get back to that class in the next segment in just a few moments right but see, in, in looking at morality coming from God, we know God is the source as Christians. Mm-hmm. We know why God is the source. And our third point here is we focus on emulating the ultimate source of morals. So that's the next step. It's not enough to know the source and know why the source is the source. But what do you do with what you get from that source? Let's look at James three thirteen to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. So show by your good behavior. Show by putting in practice that which you have seen. Make it valuable to life. And folks, again, we're talking about the proving ourselves to be uh, Christian in terms of, of, of putting God in the center of things and right now the center of morals in life. Do you believe that morals came from God or not? Let us know. Give us a call. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. Okay, continue that scripture. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. That speaks volumes. When we are not focused on that which comes from above, the danger is getting into earthly wisdom, natural wisdom. And then he says demonic, and you think, wait a minute, but think about it. Who rules this world right now? Satan is the prince of this world. And the scriptures tell us that. So there is a danger zone in avoiding the true source of all that is good. Mm-hmm. Because if we say, well, you know, God doesn't exist, then what we pull out of our experience, while we can have great things that come out of it, you can also have it very easily corrupted. Yes. So uh, skip down to verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Interesting things. What is this wisdom above made of? And it, it gives us some things that all of us would like to, to be able to rely on. Yes. Don't you want to rely on something that's pure, that's peaceable, that's gentle, that's reasonable, that's merciful, that's unwavering? This is Christ-likeness right and, here. And that's not hypocritical. Yes. See, that's what saying, we're saying God as a source of our morality is all of those things. The wisdom he sends us is unwavering. It's without hypocrisy. It is full of mercy. It's something to be emulated. Mm-hmm. So we know our source is that of God. We know why God is a source. We focus on emulating. That's the third point, the ultimate source of our morals. And the fourth point is we attempt to comprehend the magnitude of the ultimate source of morals. Romans eleven thirty-three to 36. Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For we know his mind. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given 
him a gift, and who received a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So the, that scripture ends, you know, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. So when you say God is the source of your morality, uh, it puts things in a perspective where you're always looking to a higher level to check your personal inter- interpretation of morality. Yeah, to tweak it, improve it. Exactly, exactly, because you have a standard that's higher than yours. It's, it's easy to locate God as the source of a morality. Now the question is, is having God as the source of a morality really a good thing, or are there some flaws in that reasoning? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should you not be a Christian? Coming up, ethics. Do you have to believe in God to have them? Do Jews and Christians have a monopoly on them? Are there ethics in this perverse generation? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And one of the things this gentleman brought out in his in his video about why he's no longer a Christian is that, um, uh, you know, he had always known uh, people who were Christians to be the most ethical people he knew. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he was introduced to a wide variety of people who suddenly were ethical uh, without being a Christian. Okay. And he's saying, wow, isn't it, that's, that seems, I thought that was impossible. And so, so really, one of the questions, to truly behave ethically, do you have to be a follower of Christ? Do you have to be, or is it possible to behave ethically without God and Christ in your life? Jonathan, let's go back. Let's go to a soundbite that helps him. That the, that the uh, the video maker puts in perspective ethics and what ethics really is. And this is actually this is really really good. Ethics isn't about telling people how to be good. It's about helping good people make good decisions when the best decision isn't always clear. That statement completely changed my perspective of what the class was about. Something else that affected me was the way that our teacher presented positions that he ultimately ended up disagreeing with. When there were two sides to a dispute, you could never tell which one the teacher ultimately agreed with until the very end when we all reasoned together to mutually reach what seemed to be the best conclusion. So, two things there. First of all, the, the de- ethics isn't about telling people how to be good. It's about helping good people make good decisions when the best decision isn't always clear. I think yeah. that's a powerful, that powerful statement. And, and, I, and I love that statement because in our lives, things are not always clear. Absolutely. So, you need to have some kind of guideline when it's foggy to know what direction it is that you're going. And the other thing that I appreciate is his teacher was able to present an alternate point of view that he did not agree with, with such uh, logic and enthusiasm that you couldn't tell which side of the fence he was on. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a really good teacher. That is. That is a really good teacher. So the question here is, okay, in terms of morality and ethics, where 
what kind of guidance are we given? You know, does this, the, the Bible give us help good people make good decisions when the best decision isn't always clear? And Jonathan, I would submit to you that most for most people in the Bible as well as now, decisions were very hard to come by. Yep. Hard to make because there's always all these extenuating circumstances that cloud the issue. In the Old Testament, it was very clear as to how to maintain a moral and ethical approach. Joshua 1.7 Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So he's saying, if you keep the law with you when you have issues... You go back to the law. It's your touchstone. It's going to remind you what's right and what's wrong. Simple thing. Helping good people make good decisions when the, 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 the landscape is very foggy. I was thinking about Noah and the flood. Noah had favor with God. Mm-hmm. The world was going crazy. Evil was everywhere. Rampant. Yep. Rampant. Uh, there was no law at that time. And humankind just went downhill based on their ethics and morals. Right, and and because they were creating them as they went. Yes. And it became a more degraded society. And what better way is there to help people make good decisions than to constantly direct them back to the laws of God from which their highest moral and ethical standards are derived? That, for a Christian, is the key, key answer uh, in, in terms of that. And, and, and you know, Jonathan, just one, one quick sidelight. You know, going back to prayer for a moment in terms of, of ethics and, and doing things the right way and when, when life is cloudy... Mm-hmm. You know, one of, one of the points that the gentleman makes in his video is that, well, you know, God knew the end from the beginning, so why am I praying about anything anyway? Right. And, the one, and to me, one of the answers is to learn. You pray to learn. And a great example of that in terms of, of raising children. Uh, I had many instances in raising three children um, where I knew, because I knew my children, and I was tried to be very engaged, I knew what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. I just knew. So there were times that my wife and I would talk it over, and we'd say, okay, we're going to let this happen, and then we're going to come back and teach them the lesson later. And sure enough, they would, and it, oh, it's sad in one way, but very comical in another way, where you see the kid <laughs> just follow through exactly the way you thought they would because you know your child so well, and then you have a teaching opportunity afterwards. That's what prayer is, and that's how ethics can really sink in. True. We make mistakes, we learn from them. And it gives us a sense of the greatness of God. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.net. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on Facebook and our always updated blog. Okay, let's go to Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. Again, another Old Testament clear-cut picture of how to find ethics in a daily basis. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So it is summing up the law in those three statements. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And it's interesting how those three statements 
fits into what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments. Yeah, they really do fit in, don't they? <laughs> so it there's a there's a resounding theme through the scriptures, and it's even made simple for us so that we can find morality and ethics on a daily, regular basis by going back to the source. Back to the source. That's what we have as a Christian. We have a source of our ethics and morals that's higher than us. What do average people who are not believing in God have? Themselves. Mm-hmm. And we ourselves are very unstable sources at best. I Good just, point. I just, just believe that. Let's go back to uh, another soundbite in terms of uh, this morality uh, or ethics class that this gentleman was taking uh, in college. I'd always assume that any intelligent, ethical, and open-minded person believed in God. It was clear that my teacher was intelligent, ethical, and open-minded, but it wasn't clear whether or not he believed in God. Despite the fact that I couldn't figure out my teacher's personal beliefs, God came up pretty early on in the semester. The teacher made it clear that he believed no conclusive proof could be made either way for the existence of God. So it's interesting because this young man now has created, and I'm just, he's created a dilemma. Mm-hmm. He's saying he always believed that all ethical people had to be Christian. Right. So he sees this guy who is very ethical. And he's saying, I can't even tell what he believes. I can't. So he's, he's having this short circuit happen inside of his own brain because he's saying, well, if he doesn't believe in God and he's so ethical, then, then, then you don't have to be a Christian to be ethical. And I thought you had to be a Christian to be ethical, so it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't know what to do with it. And, you know, my, my advice would have been chill. <laughs> just breathe. Because it, just because someone isn't a Christian doesn't mean they can't have a sense of morality and ethics. They just... It, Stop already, because some wonderful, wonderful people are, have great standards of morals and ethics. Yes. The problem is, the vast majority of people without God will not. A few will, most will not. Mm-hmm. Good point. And that's where you have a society that has to be able to, 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 to run and operate. Now, and Jonathan, here's an interesting thing. In the scriptures... We actually have some, and we're only going to use one example at this point, but there are examples of individuals who were not Jewish... And were not Christian, but had a great sense of morality and ethics. And you think about that, you say, what? How? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, how? Because some people see it. Some people get it. And there's nothing unchristian about that. There's nothing bad about that. That's actually good. Mm -hmm. This particular example comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And um, I don't know if we'll read the whole thing, but let's just read the first few verses. When he had completed all his discourse, that's Jesus, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. So you have this centurion who is not a Jew. No, he's a Roman. Right. He is a Roman citizen. He's not Jewish. He has a slave who is very, very sick. Jesus comes into town, and he has the audacity to send his servants to see if Jesus will heal him. Jewish elders? See, that's right. That's right. He didn't send servants. He sent the Jewish Jewish elders. elders. So he said, well, wait, why would he send the Jewish elders? Well, He's not Jewish. Right. Well, let's let's read a little bit further. Verses 4. I may stop you in the middle here. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. So the Jewish elders, talking about a Gentile, 
come to Jesus. Now these plead are, for his case. Right, right. So <laughs> these are not these are not Pharisees. No. Let's make sure that we understand because oh. the Pharisees were against Jesus. Mm-hmm. These Jewish elders were were obviously very pro Jesus, and when they plead the case of this Gentile, they say he's worthy. Now, how could they possibly have said that? Well, let's read on. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. So what they're saying to Jesus is he has done so much for us. He has an appreciation of Israel. Respect. And he has put his own uh, efforts and own people and probably own money into the building of our synagogue so we could worship God. So they're saying he's a very different man. Very unique, very special. (laughs) Very special, very moral, very ethical, very kind, very generous, very compassionate. But he's a Gentile. You know, and Jesus, we know, Jesus was not sent to the Gentiles. No, he wasn't. Okay, so let's read on. Now, Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourselves further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Okay, okay, so now now, now let's take a breath here and think about the deep humility of this man. He knows that Jesus is did not come for his sake. Mm-hmm. He came for the sake of Israel. He knows he's not a Jew, so he says, I know I'm not worthy. That's why I didn't come to you myself. And he's saying, I know that all you need to do is say the word. You don't even need to come to my house because we're not worthy. You just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. What an amazing individual this is. What happens? For I also am a man placed under authority and soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Okay, so Jesus proclaims the great faith of this man whom, to whom he was not sent to give the gift of healing. But he sees the faith, he sees the, 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 the morality in his lifetime of efforts. And that's what it was, was displayed to Jesus, was this lifetime of efforts. Now this guy is a Roman centurion, he is not one of the children of God. No, he's not. But Jesus sees the great faith and says, this is faith greater than any I've seen in all of Israel. What an example. And he was an unbeliever. He was outside of favor at this point in time. Christianity had not been opened up to the Gentiles. Right, right. So Jesus sees his faith in spite of his position. And what happens? When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So Jesus does the healing. Doesn't even have to go to the house, but because of this man's faith. Because this man, who was a non-believer, quote-unquote, he wasn't Jewish by faith, he had not been converted to Judaism. Now, he could have been, but he hadn't been. But he had lived a wonderful, wonderful life and was rewarded for that. So, the scriptures even show us examples of morality that is not from the context of, of Judaism or Christianity. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because many many of us believe that this man became a Christian afterwards. Yes, I would think so. And uh, be, because he had, he had all of the, the ingredients and... Um, but it gives us a sense of understanding how important it is to recognize that, look, moral and ethical behavior does exist amongst all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And you compliment that. 
And that doesn't take away from the moral and ethical guidance we have as Christians. I think it actually complements it if we stay close to the guidance that we're given. Because inevitably, in the moral and ethical behavior we see in the world, there's going to be differences of opinion, right. differences of, 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 of approach. And oh, like last week, our, our subject last week on, on, on gay marriage was a classic example of the moral and ethical approach clashing in, in different societies for different reasons. Mm-hmm. What we need to have in our moral and ethical behavior and belief is something that is higher than ourselves. Yes. And so... When just because you see someone outside of Christianity who's moral and ethical doesn't doesn't blow Christianity to pieces. No. Now, see, for this young man, it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just couldn't couldn't get it. Okay, how can this guy be so moral and ethical without God? Because humanity can understand such things if they choose to. He was a thinker. He wasn't a man of faith, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean you abandon though what you have as a higher source of your morals and your ethics in such a world as we live in. Morality, we believe, does come from God. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Coming up, since God is our source for every good and perfect gift, can He change the rules whenever He wants to? Does He? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, we're looking at morality, uh, and the question, does morality come from God or does it come from men? And if it comes from God, the, the last question you asked at the end of the last segment is, well, can God change his mind? Right. Can he change the rules in terms of morality? Well, we're very thankful that Zach um, from Nebraska brought this um, this video to our attention so that we could discuss uh, these concepts. And the video is Why I Am No Longer a Christian. It's on YouTube. It's about an hour and a half long, and it is the most respectful dismantling of Christianity I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I agree with it, obviously, but I have great respect for the way, the, the approach of the young man. Very intelligent, uh, very clear. I think there's tremendous gaps in the reasoning, and that, those are the things that we're attempting to, to deal with uh, this morning here. Mm-hmm. L- let's go back to another soundbite from there uh, in terms of the what he calls the euthyphro dilemma. He's, and he uses language about stuff that I don't know nothing about. You know, euthyphro, what? <laughs> what is that? Well, he's going to explain it. But assuming God did exist, my teacher addressed God's relation to ethics in the form of the euthyphro dilemma, which is as follows. Is what is moral commanded by God because it is moral? Or is it moral because it is commanded by God? That's a very important question. Is what is moral commanded by God because it's moral? Or does it become moral because God commanded it? <laughs> so is morality, in some ways, and I'm going to really correct this as we go through, but in some ways it's saying, is morality higher than God, or can God manipulate morality? Mm. That's, that's really the essence of the question. And, you know, when you say, well, morality is higher than God, you know, as a Christian, you go, <gasps> That's right. 
<laughs> so how do you deal with that specific dilemma? Well, the core issue with rule changing, those who change the rules will ultimately fall. The scriptures actually tell us that. You're right. Okay, and they give and they give us a really good example here. Before we go to the phones, let's go to this. Matthew twelve, twenty four to twenty eight. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. So Jesus here is explaining that if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. So if God, therefore, I'm going to sort of put a a transliteration here, if God is changing the moral fabric and and the way things work, God's kingdom cannot stand. Because it's not firm, it's not based on anything, it's changing. And something that's changing contradicts itself. And something that contradicts itself can't possibly stand the test of time. Right. Okay. Good point. So, we're going to come back to that a little bit. Let's go to the phones right now. All right. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. We have Hosea 6, six. For it is love that I desire, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God rather than holocausts. It is actually impossible to separate modern ethics from Christianity. From its earliest days... From the, in the brutality of the ancient world, the followers of the Jesus movement were known for their charity and their love for others. Of course, great crimes have been committed in the name of God, but that does not change that the bar was raised for humanity since Jesus. John 8.11, Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Do not sin. There is a danger in making your professor your God. Humans do fail in their ethics and moral objectives. But Christians follow not a human teacher alone, but a God who walked in humanity and provides real help to those who ask. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Mend your ways, encourage one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And, and you know, he's right. You, when we look at somebody, some human being, and we say, okay, I want to emulate that, we are instantly emulating something that's imperfect. You're right. And so Randall's point on that is very well taken, that we don't want to emulate something that's imperfect, but would rather go to a higher standard, higher source, which is God God himself. So, uh, Randall, thanks so much for, for the call. So, Jonathan, we're looking at this moral question. Uh, is what is moral commanded by God because it's moral, or is it moral because it's commanded by God? And we're going to get to really, truly, clearly answering that in just a moment. I want to go back to one last soundbite from uh, this uh, Why I Am No Longer a Christian video on YouTube about this very issue. The teacher argued that the second possibility was absurd. For example, if things were just moral because God commanded them, then God could command anything, and it would become moral. This is called divine command theory. The problem with this is that God could command rape, murder, and child molestation, and these things would not only be good, but morally required. It would make the word good meaningless. 
because there would be no standard by which to judge what was good. There would be no ultimate values. It would just be whatever random things God had declared were good. And this didn't align with the God that I knew. So he's saying that obviously morality could not come from God, because if that were the case, God could change the rules of morality, and things that we see as immoral would then be, have to become moral because God said so. And that would be a problem. It would. Okay, now here's the thing. Here, here's the, the clear-cut answer as best as I can give it. I believe that God, um, things are moral because God say they are, says they are. Okay, mm-hmm. Things are moral because God says they are. God commands them. But I believe that God is bound by the laws of morality that he has stated. He has bound himself by those laws, and it is impossible for him to change. Okay, So you don't have to worry about the what if. The what if applies to imperfect humanity. Not to God. Right. And and how do we know that it's impossible for God to change? Because the scriptures tell us, oh, I don't know, over and over and over again. Yeah. All right, let's take a look. Hebrews 6, 13 to 19. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Okay, so God makes a promise, and he swears by himself because there was nothing of greater value than he himself. Okay, that's the first point. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. Okay, so you stop there. You see, the look at the, at the reading here, and look at how clear-cut it is. God desiring desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, not just Abraham, but the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose. What is that telling you? It tells you that God has a plan. It is an unchangeable, unwavering, firm plan. And he cannot, he cannot, let me make sure you understand it, he cannot and will not waver from it. We have no worries when it comes to God and morality. Right. Because he cannot. God is bound by the laws of justice, wisdom, mercy, and love. That's what binds God. And in his dealing with humanity, he has made promise after promise that he will not change those things. So when you look at that euthyphro dilemma, and you say, well, is what is moral commanded by God because it's moral, or is it moral because God commanded it? The answer is, it's moral because God commanded it. And let me explain to you what God is. You, you can't take he's that... He's not a hypocrite. Right, exactly. And he's not, he's not changeable. You know, Greek gods, they were filled with emotion and pride and greed and ego and all of those things. Yes. And got people into all kinds of trouble, according to Greek mythology. Yep. God is above all of that. We see that scripture. And then there's more. There's, there's, there's several other scriptures. Let's look at James. We won't read the whole thing here, Jonathan, but James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Uh, just, just a few verses here. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Okay, so again, when we are being tempted and we're being tested, uh, God grants us the ability to be tested, but he doesn't tempt us. God himself does not tempt us with evil. 
but he allows us to be tempted and tested that way. Let's go further down, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So we read this verse before, but here it's important to read it with the focus on the fact that there is no variation That's and, right. and no shifting in God's plans and purposes with humankind. Consistency. It is utterly, it is as rock solid consistent as the burning sun in the sky. Yep. Do we expect the sun to go out for the next several billion years? No. no. It has got the power and the energy to last beyond what we, we don't understand it. Okay, God created that burning sun. Incidentally, he created the order in the universe. And so when you see all of those things, you don't have to worry about morality in relation to God because God puts things in perspective in terms of morality and we don't have to worry about him changing his mind. Like, ah, uh, you know what, I'm getting bored with this Christianity thing. Maybe I'll change it around. Hey, you know what, maybe I'll change the rules on this. Let's just mix it up and see what happens, shall we? He doesn't do that. No, not even remotely close. And if we have a doubt, the reason as a Christian, if you have a doubt about that, is because you haven't studied your scriptures. I, I, I just really believe that. Because what you see in the scriptures is this firmness of God. Now, here's another big question. Does that mean that the God of the Old Testament, because it seems like God treated people differently in the Old Testament than he did in the New Testament. Does that mean he changed? Right. And the answer is no. He didn't change, but the dispensation, the time, the part of the lesson for all of humanity changed. From a father right. to the children. And again, I will give you the example of being a human father with human children. When they were younger, when there were certain things that they had to learn on a more basic level, I took it upon myself to teach them certain things in a very basic level, not even bringing up other parts. Because they were just not ready for it. You know, you don't teach a five-year-old what you teach a 15-year-old. Right. You don't, you don't debate with a five-year-old what you debate with a 15-year-old. Mm -hmm. So you treat them differently, but within the context of the same end result. So when you say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different. No, it's a different kind of treatment for a different time, a different age of humanity. All of this to be coming out as a result in the final end result in, in, in God's kingdom to come. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to our final scripture. We're almost out of time. James 3, 3 to 17 again. Start with 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So if there's disorder in every evil thing, what you've done is you're, 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 you're putting your, your, your faith in things that are not stable. That's right, worldliness. Humanity. Yes. See, if we make God like man, then we're putting our faith in something we see as unstable. Right. But if we don't make God like man, and that's a big, big error. Mm-hmm. If we keep God himself above us, then we don't ever have to worry about it. You're right. Because he's clean from those things. F finish up that scripture. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So the wisdom from above, again, I want to pick out just one word in that list. Unwavering. The wisdom from above is unwavering. There is no shadow of turning with it. It is as sure as the promises that God has made even in the Old Testament. It doesn't change. So morality does come from God. It truly does, according to Scripture. And according to Scripture, you don't have to worry about it because it is as solid as nature, 
that God himself created is. It is as solid and as faithful as the sun shining in our sky. The sun is there. It's not going out tomorrow, even though you might have somebody tell you it is. The point of this, folks, is look. As we look at Christianity in relation to those who have potentially deconverted, what we see is people taking pieces and parts of what the gospel message is and looking at them with doubts. When you take the whole message of the scriptures and put it all together and reason through it, not just assume, but reason through it, you find something solid and something that gives us great confidence and great faith. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We'll be back again next week with another topic and we will continue this subject in a few weeks from now. But till then, should you not be a Christian, we've begun to open the conversation. And now you think about it. Yeah.